0: welcome to the grow to gold podcast on today's episode we have seth brenny vp of legacy in notorious region could not be more excited to have seth on the call here little snippet um seth and i've actually never met in person despite being in the same industry for 10 years and i'm excited to get to know him the same way all of us on this call will hear today so seth welcome to the podcast man great to have you
1: thank you yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm, I'm happy we got it done brett
0: yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for giving me some of your time. So let's dive right in, man. Where are you from? Kind of give us the backstory on who Seth is, and let's start there.
1: Sure. Um, so from Orem, Utah, I originally spent uh, the first, like, primarily, like, 15 years of my life down in Orem. Um, good family, great background. Um, around 15, really around, like, 11 or 12, I started getting in a lot of trouble. Um, around the ages of 15, I started kind of bumping – back and forth between Orem. And then on the west side of Salt Lake, there's an area called Glendale um, and spent a lot of my teenage and adult years up there, um, kind of back and forth and then primarily up there for the end of it. So,
0: Okay. And uh, I know we don't want to go too deep into this, but in terms of some of the, you know, was it just trends like we feel like you were impressionable like what do you feel like kind of led you to maybe get into some of that trouble just lack of direction like because a lot of people i'm sure are stuck in that right now themselves
1: yeah um it's a combination of things man it was like uh, my my dad is extremely successful always has been a prominent name he googled the dude he's been on everywhere books sold millions of millions of copies and stuff and great dad great mom um, but I think that he casted a big shadow, um, and I think that can affect different people different ways. I think the impact that it had on me is, like, I don't want to be known as his son. Like, I want to be a human being that, that people know for what I've done. And in some weird way, that combined with uh, I, I, all my memories of being really young, kind of just looking around the neighborhood, the kids that I was friends with where I lived. I just didn't feel like I was like them. They didn't seem the same as me. I don't think I really fit in with them. And, and I don't think I really wanted to fit in with them, man. I think I was just different than the kids I grew up around. And so as I got a little bit older and started getting to, you know, uh, junior high where things are a little bit more diverse. um, I think I found guys that I felt like I fit in a little bit better, better with. And A lot of them were getting into trouble. A lot of them were um, into drugs, selling drugs, a lot of that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason it was, that was really appealing to me. And so, you know, by junior high, I had already been kicked out of school a couple of times for getting into fights and just kind of normal juvenile stuff. But by the time I was in eighth grade, I've been arrested for selling drugs at school. Like it, it stopped being normal around that age, you know. Yeah,
0: and I appreciate you getting vulnerable and sharing that because for sure, that's gonna help people to connect to this conversation a lot more. And, and, I, and I relate to that at some level also, not, not to put too much of this on my story because I know this is about you, but my dad also, entrepreneur, business owner, right? He didn't sell millions of books, but you know, super successful in his own right. And, and I had the exact same thing. My family owns a deli catering business and my dad was making a ton of money back in the 90s and uh, I wanted nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah. So put putting yourself in a situation where it's like, dude, I'm my own man and I'm going to hustle and I'm going to figure it out. And, and there's definitely that sense of I don't want to live in somebody else's shadow. So I, yeah. I, I, I resonate with that tremendously. And then it seems like you were able to turn that hustle of things you shouldn't have been hustling, but you learned a lot of lessons from into something that turned out to be a super lucrative career for you. And has changed not only your life, but a lot of other people's lives. So can you maybe, maybe fast forward and talk about how you got into, into what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So starting door to door for me, you know, I, I started in alarms and I've always viewed like your resume is all your time really in sales. So for me, it starts in junior high, but, but it really, when you get into door to door sales is when I, I think your resume starts. And even when I'm recruiting someone, if they've been in, Alarms for four years and solar for one. I look at this person as a five-year veteran, not a one-year. Um, and so yeah, 2010, um, a lot of rough years between the junior high and there, a lot of, um, legal trouble, like a lot of that kind of stuff. But, um, it, it kind of came to an end for the most part at that point in my life. I got out of like a year long jail stint, um, I was a a hard one like I, I my behavior was really bad, so I did a lot of time in isolation that day um a lot of time in the hole and anyway i I get out i've I, I'm in a really bad position, and I just share where I started. I always try to be just for context because I think that door to door sales direct sales are the greatest opportunity in the the world, and I have one of the stories that kind of demonstrates that right so the way my life looked in 2010 when I started is I, I freshly out of jail. I have a permanent injury on in my leg that I had um, sustained to where I walked with a limp. I was still wearing this big old brace on my leg at the time. Um, I had a couple pending felonies. Um, my ex fiance at the time, who I was engaged to right before I went inside, had, had a child uh, of mine while I was in jail place that child for adoption. I was really hard on me. Didn't want that to happen, but it was definitely my fault, right? Like I was not a person who could be a father to a child um, at that point in my life. So kind of, it it starts there. I, I have no possessions. (laughs) Like I own nothing. I have no place to stay or live or anything else. Um, I had, I have this picture and I, I had these two black plastic trash bags. I always talk about that, just living out of two trash bags uh, with some clothes in them, and that's it. no car, nothing else. Um, and I started at a little alarm company and ended up on a blitz um, in, I want to say, August or September of 2010 in Las Vegas.
0: That's wild. That is wild. I'm sitting
1: here taking notes on your
0: story because I just, like I said to everybody to start this, you and I have never had the privilege of having a conversation before and certainly not one like this. So you, <laughs> yes. so you get out of jail. I, and dude, I just, I mean, I'm just kind of speechless by that story from there. So you go out on this blitz and this might be a silly question, but were you able to go sell home security after having a felony on your record? I don't want to
1: put anybody on blast, but were you allowed to do no. that? <laughs> it's that's actually a really good question it depends on the company you're, you're at legally uh, that varies like city by city because every city has different licensing requirements and so if you're selling in a city like Las Vegas where you, you just go apply and for the most part you get your permit then yes you can um, but yeah I le- I technically legally was not allowed to um, not because of my charges. But because I was not supposed to leave the state of Utah, I was on probation here. And so the first three full years of me doing alarms every morning when I was selling, because you don't really sell in Utah, yeah. I had to call a number and they would read a color. And if they called my color, I had to get a same day flight back to Utah, take a drug test and see my PO oh, to shit. pretend I hadn't-, <laughs> I hadn't left the state. And I actually had had a couple people get mad at me during those years and tell my PO that I was, like, traveling for work. But luckily, I had a PO that dealt with, like, first cases in the county and, you know, it was, like, the gang guy and stuff. And so he was actually really cool. He's just like, if you're not selling drugs, gangbanging, violent behavior, we're good.
0: How many times did you have to fly back because they called your color?
1: So many damn times. dude. so many times. And my my second summer was to the East coast. And so was my third. And so it was like, there were some sketchy days. There were days I didn't make it. And I had to like, figure out how to get through it. Like I could have gone to jail for missing those tests. And, but it was like, to put it in perspective too, like I've done a lot of time. And so at that point in time, it wasn't like right now me going to jail, even for 30 days or something, I would be that would suck. Like, I'm not used to it. It'd be hard for me to get back into a routine. And and the life I live now in contrast to that is crazy. But at that time, I'm just coming from it. And so it's like, I'm risking 30, 90 days in jail. It's fine. You know, it wasn't a big deal, especially the kind of money that I saw the potential to make legally without risking like my safety, or freedom.
0: Huh? Did you ever so when you missed one or two, were you ever back in for thirty or sixty days, or it always worked out pretty well? Were you able to sell your way out of it?
1: No, man. It was I. I got really lucky. It was honestly just the PO. He was a good dude. <clears throat> he could tell I was doing good. I wasn't on drugs. Like there, there was just nothing in my behavior that implied I was doing something bad. And so I think he, I, actually, I know he knew. He he knew. He knew that I was like leaving. I don't know how much he knew or what, but. There were conversations towards the end as I was getting off to where he like alluded pretty strongly that he'd known the whole time and was proud that I hadn't like actually done anything bad, you know?
0: That's awesome, man. So you look back and that guy was a huge influence in your life,
1: whether you knew it at the time or not. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah I that's remember a... his name, everything about that guy. I'd love to see him again.
0: You should reach out, man. Just side note, wherever that goes. But that, that's amazing. I'm sure he'd love to see, because I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of success stories having dealing with some of the worst of the worst, like you said. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's awesome, man. It's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And that kind of sounds yeah. like what you, what you've always been doing.
1: So, 100%.
0: so you get off. So you did two years in that sort of situation where you were doing alarms, almost three, back and, Almost three, and then you're off probation. Are you still in security at that point? Do you transition to solar? What, what's the next step?
1: Yeah, I stayed at security. I was at that company for three years. Um, and then I went to Uh, Even further down on the scale, uh, I talk about this scale of like from owning your own dealer where your commissions are the highest per capita, whether it's solar alarms or anything else. And then on the other end, you have like the Vivint or the Legacy, like the big companies that provide a ton of service, but everyone knows they're not going to be lowest red line, highest multiple anything like that. So I went from like a little alarm dealer um, to pretty much a straight dealer model Um, and that was a horrible idea for me. I, I made really good money. I made great money per account. And I always, you know, sold a ton of accounts myself. Um, but I just like was, was really capped there really quickly. My, my team could not break the 2,500 mark in alarms, which is like a big mark to get past. Um, and I felt capped there. And so I, I spent actually not even quite two years trying that. And then I ended up at Vivint and was there until came to solar in 19.
0: So, and then when you got into the solar game, did you start selling with Vivint, or you went right away over to Legacy?
1: No, man my my parting of ways from Vivint was unique. Um, I, everything about my story is pretty unique, but um, I'd say so. <laughs> but uh, it it was like <clears throat> it was emotional. It was hard. I I had known for probably the last year I was at Vivint that I could make much better money by doing solar. Um, but my thing in life and like the thing that I stand with to this day is that relationships meant more to me than anything else. And so Loyalty. I was completely, yeah, I was completely unrecruitable. Um, really loved the dude that I worked with, but that last year, so many things transpired. The people I was working with were going through a lot and there was just circumstances that led those relationships to change um, to a point where I had to leave. And so the reason I give you that context is um i i didn't go straight to solar i did explore vivant solar as an option but i actually spent like six months um pretty thoroughly like exploring the solar world and you know i've been around a long time now i've been a top producer at every company i was at ran big organizations was definitely far from the best like no you know i think i'm far better at solar than i ever was at Alarms. but. But I, I was good enough to know that I needed to be careful with this move and that there was sure. a ton of potential. And so my strategy was to spend six months um, selling alarms to just kind of pay the to pay the bills while I explored solar. And, and that's what I did. So I, I met with 22 different companies, um, legacy the whole time being kind of the front runner. Um, there, there was a period of time where I really want to work with Vivint Solar as well, just because that was familiar and close and I knew the guys down in the market still love those dudes really good friends with them Um, but I you know discovered that's what I wanted to do because it was comfortable and easy and uh, Legacy definitely made the most sense for me so after that period that's where I made the move over to Legacy.
0: I love it and when you were transitioning over I mean obviously you've built like you said you've built big things you've run big things you've sold at high levels was it kind of a step backwards for a big leap forward transitioning industries or did you kind of just transition over with a bunch of guys and now all of a sudden you're running things. It's just a different product. What what was the transition like?
1: Um, yeah, it, it was a big step back, dude. It was, I, I I did not take hardly any of my reps right away um, from, from Vivint or anywhere else. Any of the guys I knew I have a, really strict view on leadership like a completely unflinching view that in order to be a true leader you need to know every in and out of the job and you need to be able to keep up with your very best people i i i can't imagine trying to manage someone that can dominate me on the doors even today it it would be hard it would be really hard for me and so i didn't really want to recruit or, or build something until i knew i was the best at solar um so yeah, I pretty much started, I came over with one main dude that I was really close with and then maybe three or four reps, um, but my focus was just to sell at the highest level possible. Um, and I was essentially a, a rep or an assistant manager, whatever you want to call it, that they brought me on on Legacy's model is numbers driven. And it's like, you can call yourself the king of the world if you want, but if your numbers don't match it, you, you don't get to call yourself anything.
0: I love that. And then when you first transitioned over, were you back in, so were you in Utah or what, what market did you start out at?
1: I was in Vegas. So I had moved down to Vegas in, um, 15, I want to say 14 or 15 for Vivint to do like the GM year round program with alarms. So I was living in Vegas.
0: You live in Vegas. Okay. And then from the Vegas market, you built your influence there. And I love that attitude of of lead from the front and just earn every bit of it. And that's awesome. Um, And I respect the hell out of that. And then you got yourself up to a point where I'm assuming you went from top personal sales to one of the top offices in the company, built up other leaders around you, right? I mean, was it that natural progression that we all know how that looks? Or was it a little bit bit different? How, How did the progression happen to get you where you are now?
1: It, it was pretty much that, man. It was uh, <clears throat> I mean, I started to build the org about a year in. I, I shouldn't say started. I probably had twenty or thirty people my first year or something by the end of the year. Um, but my emphasis had just been selling. I went out, I, I installed two hundred and thirty two accounts my first year. um and 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 a thing that I had been uniquely good at was selling at a high price per watt. Back then, like loans were pretty new and yeah. the, the the attack from the people that were all PPAs were like it's unethical especially if you sell at a high price for what and I was always just like shut the hell up dude when I was at Vivint like I walk in the door you have ADT you're paying whatever you're paying I don't even ask because I don't care because what I have to sell you is so much better it's the exact same thing in solar yeah. we're in sales our job is to create value the more value you create the more you can charge for your product that's the way that it works whether you like it or not so i sold it at a, at a high price per watt but i i think that year really helped to set me up for the trajectory that i've been on the last four. um where you know i i installed a, a large quantity they were all like self-gen like the setter closer wasn't a thing back then which makes it tough for me now when I have some of these animals working with me that, that go do a ton of accounts, but they have setters. Um, But I made 2.1 million in personal commissions on, on the deals that I sold and installed myself. And I think that's what made some noise in the industry. Um, And I think that combined with a long history of consistently doing 300 plus alarms, running big alarm organizations, like, having good relationships with people, not screwing people out of back ends, not screwing people over all these things that I just did because what I believed in, but they started to come to fruition now because someone's cousin who worked for me in 2014 and went home early and I paid his back end anyway, hits me up and the neighbor of some, you know, like all these referrals and then people who worked for me 10 years ago are calling me again and want to try solar. Like, and so the, the second year is really where the organization started to, um gain momentum um the second year i installed did i i'm so bad with numbers and timelines and things that i have to look to check but it was over 100 it was like 112 or 13 or something my second year but um we we ran like 2100 installs in solar and and a lot of that was in vegas vegas installed bare minimum 100 a month most months over 150 and that that office was just a behemoth for a year and a half there probably from six months in and and especially the next like year while I was there, most of my recruiting was to Vegas.
0: Yeah. That's powerful. And then from there, you built your microcosm and just started pushing leaders out to different places over the market, over the country. And that's where notorious was really the brain like that. That was the initial burst of it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it really started to catapult that second year Year one, if you're getting recruited by me, and really even year two, when I was still on doors, it's like, I'm I'm flying you into Vegas, and the way that you're being, re- I, I knocked for 12 hours a day, I did it in alarms, I did not in solar, like eight, eight in the morning till 9pm with a one hour lunch break every day, like clockwork, and so it was like, if you're getting recruited, I'm flying you in, I won't see you the night you get in, but I'll pick you up if you want to go to the gym in the morning, if not, I'll pick you up after, We're knocking our first door before 8 a.m. and our last door after 9 p.m. And I'll recruit you while we go sell because I'll show you what's possible, right? And so most of that volume was recruited to Vegas. But I quickly branched out to like Utah, Phoenix for my first markets, got into Texas that same year. And it was kind of the same thing, except when I spent time with leaders, I would fly them in and they'd just knock with me. And that's where we'd like kind of huddle up until about two and a half years into Legacy. That's when I was regional, senior, regional, and kind of started not having bandwidth to sell at as high of a level. I did 72 my third year.
0: Yeah, that's powerful, man. I mean, I can look back on my career and just the curbside moments I had with people when I just started in this business and wanted to quit early on or got promoted to the next level and and just same thing, right? Every level you're running into different challenges, but I respect the hell out of that, man. I think I, I never had the, and I'll use this word, privilege to start in the security industry. So I don't know what that was like, right? But I've worked with so many amazing leaders that come from the security game where that's just what it was, eight to nine, right? There was an hour lunch break, emotional sales, and you did 300 in a summer, like that was, you were considered good, right? Like I know the basics of it, but in terms of just going out and executing that, the fact that you were able to bring that to the solar game, and for you, you just didn't know any different. Right, so to go do 300 accounts in a summer, and then go do 232 alarms in a year, and make 2.1 million in commissions—that's crazy, right? The yeah, multiple, the the multiple you had on that. I mean, because what did you? What does somebody make if they could do three, like as a rep, 300 alarms in a summer? Do you, is it like a hundred grand? Like, how much does that person make?
1: Depends on where you're at. They're probably 150 or something. I think my last year in alarms between overrides and everything else, that was like 340 grand. And but that's that was in, point that's a three month 0. period. But that was a uh, no, like was three months. Right? That was summer? that was a full year. Um okay. the shitty thing that happened to me, the the GM eraund like uh alarm thing, it didn't really pan. Like the idea was you can go have a normal life. You can work eight to five, five days a week and put up the same numbers you're doing, you know, dying all summer. Um, What we found is that actually you just end up working 12 hours a day, six days a week to produce the same annual numbers. So I I had a few summer teams that would go out every summer. I ran three or four teams my last year, but um, and I go knock with them. But I really was just knocking all year to make the same income.
0: Mm, Interesting. So now kind of fast forwarding a little bit. So now you've done that because this is where most leaders struggle, right? You were able to go get to the gym in the morning, go knock for 12 hours, have these people watch you go make 10 grand in a day, 20 grand, whatever it is, right? I mean, the solar money is, is ridiculous. And now you've gotten to the point where I think this is where a lot of people struggle, right? It's very easy to show somebody how to go do it when you're a high performer. But when you start building levels of leadership underneath you, how are you maintaining that structure and getting these guys to go do what you were doing
1: to continue that growth? It's, <clears throat> dude, building what I've I've been fortunate enough to build um, has been a combination of like first of all circumstances and luck. If people don't acknowledge that, they're just lying. Um, that's always part of it. Um, and and second, it is. Not just getting the right people, it's being able to read uh lead, sorry, the right people. Um so like a lot of people have had, even even a lot of the guys that are senior leadership in my organization now, they've worked for other people, but they worked for people that weren't as talented as them or didn't work as hard as them, or didn't set the right example, didn't put in the time with them to develop them to where they need to be. And so I think developing uh multiple layers of leadership and truly scaling boils down to a are you good enough to lead good people are you good enough to recruit train and lead a players if you're not you have to be period or else your a players are going to leave you and then b do you work hard enough to to sustain and retain a players um and so that's really what i would it's those three things it's getting the right people making sure that they all know i will work harder than them every single day no matter what it takes And then putting the time and the relationship and, you know, a big thing for me is I make every decision for this business based on values, based on what I believe is right. And that's extraordinarily unique for our industry. I I don't even hear people claim to do that, but if they do, they're probably lying. Um, It's, I make a lot of really bad financial decisions, but I believe they're the right moral decision. And I, I believe that whether I'm right or not. Um, But I think that combination of kind of way of being, way of building, way of recruiting is what's created what we have now.
0: Yeah, that's fire. That's fire. And and I don't think it's ever a bad financial decision to do the right thing by somebody that you know is morally right. Even if it puts you in a position financially that, yeah, you could hold on to an extra 50 or 100 grand. and, And that's awesome, right? Nobody wants to shake a stick at that. But if you do the right thing by somebody that delivered for you, it almost always comes back. So yeah. I, I, I think that's worked out really well for you. But more specifically, right? Because I think a lot of people struggle with this, right? When you go and sell 232, it's like nobody can doubt your ability. But now at the level that you're at, right? You hear this a lot between activists and historians, right? How do you remain an activist when you're not selling 200 accounts a year?
1: Installing first. I have to clarify that because a lot of people Sorry. sell a certain yes. amount. They don't install it. I know you meant install it. I want the listeners to understand that too. Um, yeah, dude, it's, it's just a continued example. Um, you know, it's, it's waking up every day and being willing to do the same thing. So I typically every single week I travel to visit one of my teams, you know, the org is big enough. Now there's over a thousand people. We're all over the place. And so I'm, I'm always going somewhere, but on those trips, um, I'm, I'm very deliberate about trying to put in the, the time, but also the effort to show people that I'm still willing to work as hard as they are. Um, my belief in leadership is you can't work harder on someone than they can on themselves. But, you know, any one of my guys that wants to, to sprint 12 months out of the year, I will sprint right next to them. And so, It's little things, dude. It's if there's extra time, let's jump on the doors with some of your setters and let's go set some appointments. I'm not scared of the doors. I never have been. Um, It's taking the time to do one-on-ones with guys. It's taking the time to have a dinner with leadership where I talk through just the fun stuff, the vision, the hard stuff, what's going wrong. Um, and, And I also think it's accountability. I think a big thing missing in The door-to-door industry is accountability because I think so many people like operate from this place of fear of like, man, I got to retain every single rep. And if I hold this guy to a certain standard, then he might leave. And that's scary. Like, I don't give a shit. If you don't fit my organization, just leave. We're going to hold you accountable. And so I think with the right people, which has been a big emphasis I try to talk about is that I've been fortunate enough to just recruit and build with the right people they can appreciate accountability the same way i can i'm held to an extremely high level by my ceo and if i wasn't i don't know if i'd be having the great experience at legacy that i that i am but i respond well to accountability and i think most a players do
0: yeah they they need it right i mean it's the uh you know it's the tim grovers of the world to the michael jordans yeah. or kobes right it's the ability to push people to a different level and there's always a level of gratitude that comes with that especially because at your level, you're hard enough on yourself as it is, right? Yeah. So you, you don't necessarily need that. But again, that, that extra push is what's what's definitely gotten you to where you are. And I appreciate your vulnerability and self-awareness to understand that, because that, that that's a big thing. Because I think a lot of people see somebody in your position, they're like, oh, you know, he's kind of got it figured out. He doesn't really need that push. But again, that doesn't stop. And I think that's something people need to be very cognizant of.
1: Yeah. And I dude, I also think it's really important to hold yourself accountable in conversations with your people. Like, I think one of the reasons, it, like you said, no, you're already hard enough on yourself. No one on the face of the planet is harder on themselves than I am. No one is held to a higher standard than I am from myself. But I just make sure that they know that. Like, I when I mess up, my people know I'm not one of the people that tries to look like I'm perfect and I've done nothing wrong. And I'm too scared to No, dude, when I fuck up, it's right there. And I tell you about it and I apologize and I own it. And then I try to move past. And I think that gives a level of buy-in from people where you're able to hold them accountable a little bit differently. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, right? Because nobody wants to follow a leader that can't say, I, I, I don't, I, I haven't made a mistake. Yeah. Right? And I think ultimately, when you create that safe space for people and your leaders can feel comfortable saying, hey, Seth, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but here's the decision I took and here's been the recourse and help me navigate that, right? If you create this perfect environment and nobody feels comfortable speaking out about something, then that's not exactly going to create the results that you want for sure. So yeah. that that's powerful. It seems like you've created I didn't realize you guys had a thousand people. Is, is that the actual number? Your region is now a thousand people?
1: Yeah, yeah, we so it's we call it a division. The terminology doesn't really matter, but there's several regions inside of it. But yeah, it it oscillates, I would say on the low end in the end of winter's probably 900 and will be 1200 or so by beginning of summer. So you just pick a number somewhere in there. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it blew up. I mean, we were we were 4 or 500 people as I moved back to Utah when they first promoted me to VP. Um and then there's a guy named cam brown who's my business partner um and cam had been recruited by legacy to be like a corporate recruiter work in the office he'd been at vivant solar for a while worked at vivant Inc. with me back in the day um and i i immediately just grew to love and trust that dude and those are two of the values that i run my life based on um and so i knew i wanted to work with him and i i had a kind of uh, beat up on doug and luke to to let that happen but over the period of us recruiting together just by nature we're both good recruiters same backgrounds and um we we brought cam in um to notorious to the division and and that year was like dude my bandwidth went it's not like my 100 percent was filled and then i added his 100 percent. now we have 200 we we 5x the shit like we grew so much and we just we got along really well i've I have the same level of trust with him that I have with a lot of the dudes I've been friends with for 25 years that I've been to hell and back with. And that happened within a period of like three months. I've never, I, I'm not a trusting, like it takes a minute to earn my respect and my trust. And this one was just really natural. So, so anyway, yeah, that was the year um, we probably went from four or 500 to eight or 900. And then the next year continued to scale. And uh, that would be last year. Yeah. We did our, our biggest year last year. And we'll, we'll smash that this year. So how many accounts did you guys do last year? Uh We did 47 megawatts, like 46.9 megawatts. I don't know the number of installs, but it's a, it's a lot more than those first that's, few years. For yeah. Sure. I mean,
0: that's beast. So just the structure of this, right. Are so notorious is legacy, right? It's not an outs, like it's not a franchise of legacy. You guys are one company. You're just a, div- that notorious is a division of legacy power.
1: Yeah, it's a direct division. So Legacy has a few different channels, but really the main ones are we have a partner channel where you can be like a dealer, like you're referring to have your own branding and use our, our tech and our installers and stuff. And then there's direct and direct is the internal sales division. Um, And we, there's a a few, three different divisions or so, but I think we represent like 60 to 70% of that division.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations on your success with that. That's so cool. And I I love how it's this story had so much progress though. And I think the cool thing is, is it really popped not a month or two months in, but a few years in. And you saw that vision coming to fruition the whole time and you never lost belief. And it's like that meme you see on Instagram of like that person that's kind of just digging for gold and they get this close and then they give up. And it's it's cool that you've been able to see all that. And my question to you, just to kind of tie this whole thing together from the, the the kind of troubled beginning and some of the stuff that you got into, do you feel like that stuff kind of motivated you when things were getting challenging? Do you feel like that chip is still on your shoulder? Or do you feel like at this point you kind of set it down?
1: I mean, dude, it was, those are the most formative years of my life, right? And so the culture and the people I grew up with, they they're my family to this day. Um, the ones that are doing life in prison and the ones that have changed their lives, there's no difference between them to me. Um, And and so I I would say it's both. I would say for sure, it's been a driving factor. Like I, to this day, um, you know, I was thinking the other day about 2010 or 11 when I first started getting a little alarm money, dude, I would be so proud to, able to afford that i could drink a starbucks every day like i can't even explain to you how cool that felt to me i would like it was like a flex to me to walk around with the starbucks cup um and and i just and that was like within the last week so i take myself back to that place as regularly as i can because i believe that gratitude is like the strongest weapon you can use on the face of the planet and when i'm having a really hard day which happens all the time um i have the habit of taking myself back to a place of gratitude. So I'd say certainly it's a driving factor. And, you know, I'm in a position now where I'm able to help a lot of people in the neighborhoods that I spent my teenage and young adult years in and start programs, start nonprofits, work with the high schools, like all, all kinds of cool stuff I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do. Um, and I would also say I've done my best to move past a lot of the old behaviors. Like there's a lot of the stuff that I learned and did in those days that, I may still fantasize that I can like hurt someone for doing something wrong in this world, but I I know it just doesn't work like that. And so I I would say both like I do my best to embrace the positive and the things that have helped uplift and build me, but to move past the negative behaviors and attributes that that a lot of them are still with me even 14 years later, right? It just it's part of who I was growing up, and it's a daily process working past them.
0: That's powerful, man. And it's interesting because I have a very unique perspective in this business, having done this for 10 years. And uh, I'm I'm from the East Coast, right? I never did alarms. I worked on Wall Street a little bit before I got into the solar game. And I really was only exposed to the door-to-door Utah culture in like 2013 when I got into the solar game. And it was so different to me, right? A lot of it was this blonde hair, blue eyes, like hear no evil, (laughs) see no evil, speak no evil type stuff. And it's you're kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the solar game, but it's so yeah. cool. And I say that with all due respect. It's just, it's, yeah. it's really cool to see how I can see why people are connected to you. And I can see why people are, are drawn to you and, and why you're creating this kind of rebellious like division, if you will, where it's like, give me yeah. whoever you are. I can relate to you on almost any level and let's go F shit up. And I just think that's really cool because that's just not, for the people listening to this that are not familiar with what we're talking about, the Utah, like Seth is just a different dude. So it's really cool to see how you've kind of just been unapologetically you through this process. And you've now impacted not just the thousand people that work directly with you, but their significant others, their family, their cousins, right? Their, Their people in their community by permeating your attitude and your demeanor through them and help them to go achieve things that they probably never otherwise would. So I just think that's cool, man, because a lot of people get stuck in a conformity. And and I think just the biggest thing with you that keeps coming back to me, because I try to think about titles for the podcast as I kind of just get to know the individual going through this, you're unapologetically you. And I just think that's such a fitting description for this. So that's really cool, man. So in terms of kind of where you're at now, right, it's like, where's what does the future of this look like? Because I'd imagine a lot of your your recruiting pitches, it's, hey, here's where we come from. But what's ahead? Where do you see this all going?
1: You know, I I'm really diligent and strict about goals, daily routines, things like that. Um, I, I know where my life is going, where the division is going is we're going to grow and we're going to win every single year no matter what that's the only thing that i actually know is is legacy going to transact at some point maybe is you know what what's the future of that there's a million different stories and a million different ways that can go and they're all exciting they're all fun to be a part of but the the reality is no matter how big we get we will continue to grow year over year at an aggressive pace with the right people and and the right people means that in the process, we're going to recruit some of the wrong people and the wrong people, you know, you pegged it Are you, you said, uh, give me whoever you want and we're, we're going to go dominate. Um, and that's exactly, dude, I have dudes that are gangbang their whole life, 20 years in prison. I have drug addicts and I also have, uh, uh I also have dentists and, and, uh, t- uh, hundreds of people with college degrees and tons of dudes that just got off more admissions. And, they all get along. They they all you you put them in the same room. And as long as everyone's allowed to be who they actually are, which to me is the exact opposite of the door-to-door culture you're describing, the flat brim hats, and I see nothing, I hear nothing, I don't swear, I don't do anything wrong, but in reality they're drinking or or cheating on their wife for correct him. whatever it is, none of which I give a shit if anyone does. I don't care. Just be but you. I just want my people. To be themselves. And so yeah. the dudes that don't fit here, it, it's not it's not because you're a criminal. It's not because you are on a mission and you don't swear. It's not because you are a doctor or a dentist. It's you don't fit in here if you don't have the ability to just fucking be yourself. That's all we care about. And and then we accept you and you're safe. And it is a culture that is stronger than anything I've ever experienced in my life, because we do have such a big variety of people. And so If I have to describe the future, I'm going to bring in, you know, hundreds more people, and then my people are going to push out the wrong ones. They're going to bully them out the door because they aren't going to fit in, and the right ones are going to stick and they will never leave because they're part of something where they belong.
0: Yeah, the filtration system you've and that's what I call it—the filtration system, right? The filtration system that you've created with because this whole thing at a thousand reps, probably even way before that, it was it was getting to this, but it's got a life of its own. Right. Your leadership and your team, they have their own perceptions and ideas that might not be exactly in alignment with yours. They recruit and train this process maybe differently than you would. But there's obviously a level of trust and, and credibility there where now they're all growing this thing and you have people joining the organization that you've never even met. And, uh, you know, obviously yeah. that that vision had to be there from the beginning in order for that to take place and for you to trust and delegate and empower. So that's really freaking cool, man. And I, I had no doubt that this that this podcast would be delivered with a ton of value. Um, you and I have already been repping for 30, 40 minutes at this point. So just for the sake of time purposes, I just want to hear from you, man, you know, where, you know, where do you want this to go from here? And where, what do you want people to know about Seth and and just notorious and just, Anything in general that maybe we didn't cover here before we wrap this
1: thing up? Um, you know I, I guess I'd uh, I dumb that down to three different things. the The first thing is if you're in door to door and you're selling anything other than solar, you need to stop. you need to you need to stop what you're doing and you need to get into solar. Whether it's with legacy, whether it's with notorious, whether I don't, it it doesn't matter. If you're not in solar, you are missing out on the most unique opportunity in the history of the world, in my opinion, where Pusha T has this line in one of his songs. Who else can put the hipsters with felons and thugs? That's our industry. You you have it all. It's not just my division. That's the whole industry, dude. Anyone can come and make something of themselves if they're willing to do the work and learn. And so that's the first piece. Is if you're in door to door, you're in any kind of direct sales you need to take the meetings from the people you know in solar. Um, The second thing is that this industry, um, you know, we're in a multi-trillion dollar industry that's at sub 10% market penetration uh, nationwide. Like this industry is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to scale. And the right people ultimately will continue to end up on top as long as they put in the work. And so the reason that I bring that up is because I want everyone that is doing this job right now, everyone that has dedicated their life already to solar to understand that if you just keep giving the daily inputs, the industry will find you in the place you belong. Eventually. It's a hard industry. It's the most uniquely difficult and challenging thing I've ever been through. And I have been through some shit. Um, and if you're at a place where you feel like you are doing your best, you're working hard, you have the job down and you just keep ending up behind, don't give up, keep going. This thing always works out. This thing the in this industry, the dollars and the, the accolades, they always follow value eventually, sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, but they always follow the value. So keep bringing the value Um, And then the third thing is just explore the system you're in. Um, You know, when I came to Legacy Power, I had been in the industry a long time and I hadn't seen a fraction of the success that I've seen over the last four years at Legacy. And that's because I was in the wrong system and I refused to quit while I was in the wrong system. I refused to look around until I was in circumstances where I was forced to do that. I would say analyze the system you're in. Do you have do you have the right technology platform? Does your technology enable you to get ahead? Do you have the right culture around you? Are people pushing way harder than they are? Are are people pushing to win more than they are for dollars? If your focus is dollars, you're in the wrong place. The dollars follow when you when you go work. Do you have the right competitions platform around you? Do you have the right leadership structure? Do you trust everyone you work with? If you don't have those things, you are not in the right system and you are not going to be rewarded fully to the, your, your capabilities. So I think that, I mean, <laughs> it's all over the place, but you asked me what I have to say at the end of it. That's all I got, man.
0: No dude, that's fire, bro. I mean, I've taken so many notes on this conversation and I said this to the, uh, the last guest I I had on here. I do these podcasts as much as I want to put it out for everybody for selfish reasons, because, you know, when people like you get on and drop dimes like this, I mean, you're going to impact people all over the world, but a lot of this is just super helpful for even me to hear. So I appreciate you giving me a ton of value on this because I've taken probably four pages of notes here the entire time. So awesome value. And I had no doubt again, like I said, I know this is probably a third time I'm saying this here, but You and I have never met. We've never had a chance to have this conversation. I've I've known of you through association for a while now, but I'm just super grateful that you and I got the opportunity to do this. And I have no doubt that we're going to impact people through this. So Seth, where can people find you? How can they connect with you? If somebody's interested in legacy, somebody's interested in just picking your brain because they took some value from this. How can somebody find you? How can somebody connect with you?
1: Yeah, I'm happy you mentioned that. So that's something I actually do want to say. I spend time like training teams at competitors. I do Zoom calls. I get on coaching calls. I was on a coaching call this week with a guy who just left the solar industry to do something else. My whole life, I spent 12 years of my life like hurting people, helping people make bad decisions, ruin their lives, throw their lives away. And I am determined to spend the rest of my life doing good. Um, And so, first of all, hit me up if you need something, period. If you want a call, if you want a text, if you want help with something, especially in this industry that I know pretty well, I'm here. Uh, Instagram's probably the easiest one. It's just Seth, S-E-T-H dot Grenny, dot Granny. Um, Facebook is the same one, but I'm easy, dude. I, I, I'm happy to talk to anyone and, and help any way that I can. So I, I'm happy you mentioned that reach out. I'm not going to try and recruit every person that talks to me. I'm just not one of those people. Relationships are what matter to me. Yeah, that's fire, bro.
0: I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And hopefully this is the beginning of a long friendship between you and I would love to have you back on in the future, man. And, and thank you so much for your time. And hopefully you took some value from another episode of the grow to gold podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed and like, please make sure you do so. So you never miss another episode and we look forward to seeing you next time on the grow to gold podcast. Take care.
1: Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you, Brett.